This is DZFE's Maestro Filipino, a focus for music with a connection to home. For this edition, I'm Daniel. If public opinion is to be trusted, and in this case, it is, then the Philippine Philharmonic Orchestra's March 17 concert, under the baton of Dr. Beverly Shangquan Cheng, was nothing short of a resounding success. While all the works performed were heartily lauded, one was repeatedly mentioned as a favorite. The Light of Extreme Darkness by Denise Santos. While her name may be new to many Filipino concertgoers, Santos is no newcomer to the game. In fact, that is putting it lightly. Having made a career of film and documentary scoring, she, with Adam Lucas, has won an Emmy for the score of the BBC miniseries Primates, but one of many documentaries that she has elevated with her music. Santos visited briefly for the PPO concert. Shortly before flying back stateside, she very kindly dropped by our studio to talk about her career as a musical storyteller, really, how she writes her wonderfully evocative scores, and more. But, as always, it's good to start at the beginning, so here is our guest, composer Denise Santos, sharing about her early years as a musician. I started playing piano at four. I started learning with nursery rhymes and then it kind of like evolved into classical. It transitioned into Mozart and then Bach and then eventually started playing Chopin and Debussy. I think around high school I got interested in just exploring other genres so I told Mm -hmm. my teacher to teach me jazz. So I studied maple leaf rag and then I also learned guitar when I was in grade school. And I also sang in my church choir. When I transferred to a different school in high school, I was looking for a band club because I really wanted to play in band. And I found a band club, auditioned for it, only to find out that it was for a theater band. (laughs) So I got in and I was like, well, I think I would enjoy this. Why not give it a shot? So that's when I actually started composing because we had to compose Mm -hmm. music for the place that the theater was producing. Mm -hmm. I learned how to complement visual media from that age. And then I joined more bands when I was in high school. I think I had like four or five bands at a time. I think it's one of the best years of my life. I would imagine you probably spent more time playing in bands than studying. Yeah, but I I managed (laughs) to pass all my subjects. (laughs) Well, well, good for you. It was like, I think when you're so inspired and so fired up, like... Mm. You just do better in every other aspect mm, of that's your life. A good point. I, yeah, that's I a think good point. that's what happened to me. Like I was always so tired, but I kept up with my responsibilities. Mm. You know, I think it's really interesting that your trajectory, as it were, mm-hmm. is from classical music outwards. Yeah. By the time you got into high school, were you then already playing pop music? Yes, mm. I was playing pop and rock. But by then, I don't think you were considering music as a career. No. I I always saw it as a hobby. This is why I didn't take music for my undergrad. I actually was so insecure for some reason, and I didn't even audition for UP or USD, because in my head, like, I would never get in. It just made more sense to me to go to business school because my whole family is in business. Mm -hmm. So when I went to college, I quit all my bands. A lot of my college friends didn't really know me as a musician. I was like committed to not being a musician. Yeah, there was a secret past. Eventually, it comes out of me because I couldn't help but talk about (laughs) music, but I wasn't fully 
myself when I was in college. So from there, how did you become a professional musician? Part of that, did you ever practice what you studied in college? I think I had to, yeah, because I was mm -hmm. a freelancer to begin with. Like when I decided to get back into it, mm -hmm. I became a freelancer after working in radio. So I had to have like that business mm -hmm. acumen, like being able to talk about money or just reading contracts, <laughs> being able to negotiate right, terms. Right, right, like right. I was able to do that confidently. After I had graduated college, I still tried the corporate world, but I was just not fulfilled. So I decided to go back into being a musician. I took mm -hmm. some private classes. I learned production from Sir Jimmy Antiporda. He taught me how to use logic. He taught me how to produce. And then I worked at a radio station, still not fully as an artist, but like it was like my segue into the arts. Mm -hmm. And then during that time, I was also starting my freelance journey. I was creating demo tracks from applying stuff that I'd learned from Sir Jimmy. And I burnt a CD of demos, which... I think that gives away what era this is. Yeah, from. yeah. <laughs> CDs were still a thing. Yeah. I started reaching out to my friends who I knew were into the ad space mm. or were filmmakers. Mm. And every time I went out, I had like five of these CDs with me and I would like just give it out. Mm. And there was even a time when I went to Fête de la Musique and I just left CDs on tables hoping someone. I don't think that ever led to anything, but it's mm. the intention that was there that I want to work with artists. Mm. So I, I got my first film score for a friend, Samantha Lee. She had her thesis in UP, mm -hmm. and I scored it with my friend, Kai Honasan. Mm -hmm. And then I reached out to my other friend. Her name is Bia Katbaga, and she's also a director. And I asked her if I could score her film that she was making. And then those two films kind of like catapulted me into more work.
Hyde Club by Denis Santos from the album Earth Tone Mountains. We continue our interview. I introduced myself to Nonong Buen Camino, a dear mentor of mine, and told him that I want to do what he does. Like, he's mm-hmm. one of the legends. He's the OG film composer mm-hmm. in the Philippines. So I went up to him, asked him for advice, and I sent him said CD. And one of his pieces of advice was, go study. Study film scoring specifically. So that led me to looking for courses. We've all heard of Berkeley, so I looked into that, and I was kind of set on doing the Berkeley thing until my dad saw the UCLA extension program, Mm. which is much faster. It's a year and a half, and it's in Los Angeles versus Boston. So he was like, yeah, the weather's better. So yeah, I, I signed up for the UCLA extension thing, and... I think I left for LA in 2013, so it's a good 10 years. I took a certificate course in film scoring. I want to say it's like the essentials. I had maybe three theory classes, two orchestration classes, about three film scoring classes where it's directly like applying the theory of orchestration to film clips and a few other like more philosophical, like the art of film. And there's also like programming, MIDI, Yeah, it's really interesting because uh, so far, uh, a lot of your work with music, it seems, has Mm -hmm. been digital. Yes, yes. The digital space also helped me with my insecurities. Because I felt like I wasn't good with reading music. Mm. I felt like I was also not as skilled in writing the music on paper. Mm -hmm. I think the accessibility of digital workstations has definitely helped someone Mm. like me who is like extremely afraid of the (laughs) traditional processes. So after UCLA, I imagine you started working? I started an internship at Hans Zimmer's studio. Mm -hmm. It's called Remote Control Productions. Mm -hmm. And that internship led to an assistant job at Bleeding Fingers Music, Mm -hmm. which led to a full-time composer job. I hadn't planned it that way. My plan was to study, come back home, continue the work that I had been doing. Mm-hmm. I even like didn't tell my band to replace me. I had a band <laughs> back then, and I told them, yeah, I'll be back in one and a half years. Have they replaced you yet? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good on them. They've oh, officially right. replaced you. So I was planning to come home, but mm-hmm. then I couldn't turn down this opportunity to learn from the masters. Oh, yeah. And it led to more things, and it led to me staying there. Now, of course, we go to the music that mm-hmm. you write. You seem to have a particular focus on documentaries Mm -hmm. recently, but that is not of your own choosing. Yes, a big part of the work that we get at Bleeding Fingers is in the documentary space. Mm -hmm. I was happy to do it. It was a milestone for me to be able to write for documentaries because I think that's when I was able to tap into my classical roots. Mm. I have so many different musical (laughs) genres inside of me. I mean, you've gone through all of them. Yeah, I feel like I have. (laughs) So that was a a wonderful way for me to go back to my classical roots. Mm -hmm. So I suppose this is a good time to ask, what sort of music do you write and where do you draw inspiration from? Mm -hmm. Not just, you know, creative inspiration, but what, uh, what are the giants on whose shoulders you stand? I think I definitely look up to composers who are also multi-genre. So one of my favorite composers is Daniel Pemberton. Mm -hmm. He's a film composer and he can do neoclassical, he can also do electronic, and he does it well. I also have like favorites from all the different genres. John Williams is a given for anyone who is into film scoring. Mm -hmm. 
but I also really love Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for the electronic stuff that they do. Mm-hmm. But then I also really love Nicholas Brittle for like the more neoclassical approach. I pull inspiration from everything. I don't like defining things for myself because I enjoy everything. I like pulling from every genre, so it's hard for me to define myself, but I love collaborating with directors because it steers me into a direction. Like, I'm not scattered, but <laughs> with the collaboration, I get, yeah. like, filtered. But if they ask me to access something different, I'm able to. Mm. And that's a big part of my job, is that we're able to access different emotions and different worlds. That's actually one of my questions here. How do you create so much variety of emotion? How do you not run out of variety <laughs> in writing a, a documentary score, especially a documentary score, because you know, a single series has so many different settings, so many different characters. So how do you do that? It takes a lot of internalization. This is something that I feel like I took from my theater days. As part of the theater band, I was also actually acting in a few plays, and I learned how to internalize different roles. Mm. I played a koala once. <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm sure is very useful for your documentary. For my nature document. <laughs> so I've learned to adapt. And going from one genre to another is a good way to not run out of ideas because each genre is like a different vocabulary. Or let's say a dialect. Funnily, like I learned how to write Americana music during my time at Bleeding Fingers because one of the recurring projects that we get is a show called Alaskan Mush People, which is about Alaskan Mush People. Alaskan Mush People, exactly. (laughs) So I learned how to write Americana, and it wasn't something that was necessarily expected of me, but I came in with a guitar and they were like, yep, we're putting you on that show. (laughs) So how I do it is I immerse myself in those worlds. I got really into Americana music. I have new favorite bands in that (laughs) genre. I would watch videos, I would watch them live. I buy new instruments, like I have a banjo, I have a mandolin, I have a harmonica. (laughs) And that's another thing, learning new instruments is also a different way of writing. But you're also a multi-instrumentalist. In a way, I'm like a jack of all trades, master of none. I can't play violin. Ah, there we go. The importance of actually exposing yourself to culture, really. That might be something that many of our young artists might find particularly useful, but something that I don't think I see in your music, you mentioned Americana, something I don't think I see is Filipiniana. Well, that's because Simply over because the of past circumstances. few years, yeah, I, that's not the brief. But when I was here, I scored two movies that were very much Filipino-inspired. Mm-hmm. I did this movie called The Diplomat Hotel, and it was shot in Baguio at the famous, infamous Diplomat <laughs> Hotel. I think I got haunted when I was there. So I went to set, and I hired a local group of musicians, and I recorded them mm-hmm. for the score. We had, like I think, a whole afternoon of recording, and that's very much heard in the score. But I wasn't able to ever upload that score. So a lot of my more Filipino-inspired work is not out there. That's the unfortunate thing about moving to the States is I don't get to use a lot of my Filipino influence. Mm. But actually, when I can, I do. It's just compositionally, Mm. it sounds more Western, but I'm actually using a hegelong. Like, to them, it's just like an interesting texture. But to me, this is a hegelong, you guys.
The Light of Extreme Darkness by US-based Filipina composer Denis Santos. The work premiered last March 17, performed by the Philippine Philharmonic Orchestra under the baton of Dr. Beverly Shang Kwan Cheng. Here is the rest of our interview. I like being able to write for something else. Right. I like being able to tell a story that isn't mine. And I occasionally write for myself. Mm-hmm. Like the piece that was performed by the PPO, that's something that I wrote. Which we are getting right into. Oh, perfect. What a wonderful segue. Yeah. <laughs> so I suppose before we get to the music, we want to know how you became part of this concert. I got an email from the conductor, Beverly. You've been connected before? No. I want to say it's not random because for the past few months, I've been telling everybody I know, I want to work with the Filipino Orchestra. But I did get a very random email from Beverly and she asked if I had anything that was available to be performed. Mm-hmm. And this was like early February. And then I said, yes, there's this piece that I have. And a few weeks later, we've confirmed all the details and here you are. I booked my flight home <laughs> and here I am. <laughs> so tell us about the origins of this music. This is um, a little bit politically inspired mm. <laughs> and also pandemic inspired. We all went through a lot right. the past few right, years. Right, right, right. So this is kind of like an ode to that where things got really dark. Mm-hmm. It was like an invitation to myself to look into the beauty that was still there in mm. spite of like all the chaos that was going on. There, it's so many things. The calm opening of it is also kind of representative of the calm that we were forced into like not going out. And I remember seeing pictures of streets that were empty. Mm. It was titled, um, The Day the Earth Stood Still. And that inspired me to write this opening of like the stillness that we were forced into. And then the piece evolves into more movements, more ostinatos, more arpeggios. And I think that was when people started movements. That's why the piece kind of ends with a more driving feeling. Hmm. And then it also ends a little bit, not celebratory, but like just grand in a sense that it's bigger than the sum of its parts. It inspired me and I hope it inspired people who listen to it to be more mindful of their communities Hmm. and nature and everything around them that we normally take for granted. That's the story of the piece. I think it's interesting that you end with a more hopeful tune. It is hopeful in that it reflects how I want to look at things. Because I was in a place where I wasn't hopeful, and it's not a good place to be in. I wanted to also change the narrative. You know, let's look at the light, the light of extreme darkness. There we go. This piece sounds a lot like documentary Mm -hmm. music. Walk us through Mm -hmm. the the process of coming up with the melodies. Mm. It seems to be building up layers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, The percussions are very African savannah. (laughs) Yeah, I know. (laughs) I usually go to melody first. Like, Mm -hmm. that is one of my priorities when I write. A lot of how I write is Mm -hmm. to not give spoilers. Don't give the full melody right Mm -hmm. away. Interesting. (laughs) That's why it seems like it's layers, because I start with the two notes of the motif, and then I add in the third, and then the fourth, and the fifth. And you said it sounds like documentary music, because that's what I've been trained to do over the past few years. So that's what has naturally come out of me. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I start with the melody, and fleshed out a piano draft. I like to start with a piano sketch. 
um, that's when I add in all the orchestration, and I love programming percussion. So <laughs> obviously, yeah, it's very forward in my music, and I think that's a big part of my Filipino influence. Mm. Is like a very percussive music because my experience going to Fet de la Musique, I credit that a lot because I thoroughly enjoyed going to the world stage and sitting in the middle of drum circles. And I'm very much inspired by the syncopation and the rhythmic nature of it. So I, I always make it a point to be rhythmic. I don't even make it a point, it just happens. Like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I, I like rhythm. Mm -hmm. So that's where that comes in the piece. I wrote it on a DAW, so I wrote it in Logic. And then um, my good friend Edith Mudge, she helped me with the orchestration for it to be actually playable <laughs> by an orchestra. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. So she, she orchestrated that. So when did that happen, after Miss Webb contacted you? Yes. Uh, you did mention it's been your dream to perform with the Philippine Orchestra, so yeah. what has it been like? Dream come true. I attended the rehearsals. I was so happy to be there, watch them rehearse it, and I was able to give notes, mm -hmm. and they were so quick to make the changes. I think there's something about using your home orchestra I can't fully describe the feeling, but it's home. Of course, apart from this, you won an Emmy for mm -hmm. your score for Primates. I wrote it alongside Adam Lucas. It's big, but maybe you can give us a gist of what went in the process, what mm -hmm. you wanted it to sound like. Oh, see, this is where it gets interesting. It's a nature documentary, right? And yeah. a lot of the nature sensibilities are more classical, but this one, we had discussed that we want to tap into our pop side. That was during the era of like what Billie Eilish released her album, and it kind of defined the new sound of pop. The way they produce her music mm -hmm. is like very much like ASMR. So inspired us to incorporate more ASMR stuff. But also the the big big concept was because primates are the only like order of animals that can use their hands to mm. grip and manipulate objects. Yes. So we use a lot of hand sounds. Interesting. So there's a lot of snapping, there's a lot of like this, mm. like rubbing your palms, which is very ASMR-like. <laughs> and I remember instead of using a brush snare, I would like rub my jeans so that it would sound like a brush snare. Like mm -hmm. a lot of hand sounds, snapping, clapping. And then I also used a lot of pop elements like 808s and synths mm -hmm. mixed with the orchestra sound. Right. But it wasn't even like a symphony orchestra. It was like a chamber mm. and soloists. So that was our big concept. And I think that's why it stood out from the other documentaries that year mm -hmm. was because we were able to infuse the different genres. And this is like a success story to me trying to infuse everything that inspires me into right. a piece of music that is cohesive and has identity. What do you draw from the classical tradition? I think counterpoint and also harmonies. Finally, you do not want to be boxed in as a documentary and film scorer, and now you are on the verge of a new chapter, having mm -hmm. just left Bleeding Fingers. So uh, at the risk of sounding a little sentimental, what lies in the future, or at least what are you hoping for in the future? I want to tell stories from different cultures and mm -hmm. specifically stories of women but really what I'm looking for is just good collaborations what I do 
is about making connections with people. I'm hungry for new friends and collaboration. And this trance that you get once you're creating something new mm -hmm. and you love the people you're working with, that's all I'm looking for. I really want to work with Filipino musicians. I think it's more about finding the right people and the right topics to work on. There's a lot to explore.
Guardians and Navigators, and One Family, from Denis Santos and Adam Lucas's award-winning score for the documentary series Primates. You can find more from Denis Santos on facebook.com slash denisantosmusic or her website at denis-santos.com. That is all for this Maestro Filipino, DZFE's weekly feature for fine music in our locale. Each episode airs Saturday at 12 noon, the following Sunday, 12 midnight, and lastly, the next Thursday at 8 in the evening. Maestro Filipino episodes are uploaded every week on our SoundCloud and Spotify channels. Once more, this is Daniel, and thank you for listening.